I think with a business, I can afford it to fail. But with my family, I can't afford it to fail. This is Intelligent Rebellion. Howdy folks, in this penultimate episode of season two, I chat with Samantha Flynn, a wife, a mom, and an accidental exercise physiologist. Sam shares her adventures through business ownership, motherhood, and now as a workplace rehab consultant, and how she made an intentional decision regarding what failure she is willing to accept and which one she is not. Sam shares her epic failures and the tough lessons learned along the way. She has some nuggets of wisdom for anyone thinking about doing a career transition from clinical work to rehab consultancy. What makes this chat with Sam so fascinating though is the incredible insight she has about her own identity, her personal flaws and strengths, and how she has embraced all these parts of herself. So let's go, turn the volume up, this is Samantha Flynn. All right. Hey, Sam, how are you going? Thank you so much for coming to start off. And I know you've been shit scared about this. <laughs> I always, the very first question I always ask is what your personal rebellion is. But let's start a bit softer. Right. Do you want to introduce yourself to the world, like who you are, what your deal is? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm Sam. I'm a wife. I'm a mum to three little girls. I'm an AP by trade. Gone around kind of a full circle with everything. I started with clinical for a little bit, mm. teaching, had a business, an AP clinical business for a little bit. Um, I dabbled in other allied health, I had like dietetics and physio. I moved into Oak Rehab. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we met. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm interested because you started your introduction with I'm a wife. Yes. I knew that you were going to ask me this question. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, first and foremost, I couldn't be who I am today without my husband. So mm. I had to kind of say, well, first and foremost, I'm a wife. Anything that I do, I can't do without him. So, Tell me more about Brad. Brad right? Yes, he's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> How, when you say you, you can't be where you are or what you do without him. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I think um, I was listening to a few of your other guests on this podcast. It's actually said, you know, my husband and I, we're a partnership. And that's exactly what Brad and I are. Whatever his weaknesses are, I feel like I'm really good at. For example, like I'm really good at process and systems. That's me. <laughs> Stories. He's in a totally different industry. He's in hospitality, but he's in the um, management side of hospitality. And um, he would just tell me how he works through some, some really, really hard stuff. Yeah. And I'll be like, wow, you know, I would have come across or I would have done that so differently so he communicates really when I you know he's not good at systems and and I feel like I'm not good at communication he'll be able to you know bring down a really tough like hard chats he'll be able to an, an awesome outcome um, empowering the individual where I would I would struggle to do that so am I talking to the wrong person no. <laughs> no 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 well was he at the beginning of your healthcare origin story yeah. Pretty much, actually. I used to work in a cafe um, and he was actually working in management at that cafe. So it was like, I, he walked in with his colleague and I'm like, who is that guy? <laughs> and that's pretty much how it all started. And then we dated for like 14 months, maybe 13 months. He popped the question and then we got married in five months after that. So it was kind of real quick. I got married at, yeah, 20. Four, I think. Yes. What made you go, I'll go to uni and be a yeah, healthcare professional? Yeah. So I went through high school and I knew I wanted to be in the health industry. I was always really um, sporty, even though my parents were like, go to tutoring. I'm of Asian <laughs> background. <laughs> He's like, go to tutoring. Like, you should go and do a degree in finance. Go be a lawyer. Or yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And so when they were like, 
exercise, at that point it was exercise science, sport and exercise science, that was the degree. Um, They were like, what is this? (laughs) But I was a bit of a rebel in high school as well. And so I didn't get the grades I wanted to get to get into physio. So I thought, next best thing, let's just see what EP is all about. Anyways, <laughs> I actually think I went to the same uni. I don't think it as you, but I don't think it was the same time period. Which uni did you go to? Western Sydney. No, I'm a UTS girl. Are you UTS? <laughs> For some reason I thought, and that's how I know our, our mutual friend. Yes. That's yes. How we know. Let's do a shout out to our mutual friend. <laughs> Christy, we're talking hey, about you. Christy, we're talking about you. <laughs> But yeah, I, I started um, sports science and then I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my God, like this is amazing. Um, at that point in time, 10 years ago, I think that the sports science degree was a little bit different to what it is now. So really all I knew is you could go down the sports science, like mm-hmm. elite athlete or you work as an EP. And, and at that time when I did my degree, it was um, just the bachelor's degree to get your exercise phys accreditation. So fell into both streams actually I actually did placement with um and Swiss so what's your claim to fame in that case because everybody who becomes an EP like has these hopes and dreams of becoming the strength and conditioning coach for the Wallabies no because in the department that I was at at N Swiss, mm-hmm. it was uh, research and development. So I didn't really deal with like, too many athletes. It's all well. Boo. I lie. Actually, now that I think about it, we worked with a lot of um, rugby league groups come in, like sporting groups come in, and we'll do all their VO two max testing, their um, Wingate testing, all of that. So that would probably be my claim to fame that I did maybe I don't know three years worth of testing with these rugby league players. Come on, and, drop and some and names. I can't. <laughs> Is there any memory in particular that really stands out to you whilst you were at N-Swiss? I had a phenomenal boss manager. We were only a small department. We were a department of maybe five or six. Like it was the same kind of group of ladies. We still talk to each other. And, and I guess with the research department, because it was based on grants and whatnot, like it wasn't constant. So that's when I actually was like, you know what, let's try EP. So I was doing EP like from nine to four, nine to five during the so day. So let, let, just to clarify this a little bit for people who are listening, is it you've got the sort of the research side of things where you're doing a bit of testing and Yeah, um, a lot of data. like, for example, if like Powerade mm-hmm. were to um, get in contact with Edsmith, they'll be like, look, we've got this new drink. We want to test it. Sure. Can you guys do the testing, the research to find out what's going on? Yeah. We'll write it up kind okay of thing. when you talk about the ep side of things oh, that's yeah. more like the treatment yeah so i never worked patient yeah i never did ep treatment with n swiss it was only the applied research okay. yeah my ep was with a totally different company cool. so sometimes it might be like five to nine in the morning you do n swiss yeah. and then you've got nothing throughout the day yeah. so what i'd do is i'd go to work and i worked for a, like a physio company treating patients from like nine to five and that yeah. was it so here you are graduating from uni doing the n swiss stuff doing some clinical stuff and then you took a massive risk and started your own yes. business. Yes. So Talk I... Talk me through that process because that takes guts. Yeah. So I worked with a physio company and I was the only EP there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pretty much had to learn how to swim very quickly. They had some systems and procedures set up, but I think they were also discovering EP and exactly what they can do. So I had to pretty much learn on my own, really. I didn't really have any kind of guidance. And I thought, you know what, this was kind of out in Western Sydney and I live in North Western Sydney. So it was still a bit of a trek as well. And I thought, come on, Western Sydney's not a trek. <laughs> I won't tell you how long you it took me to get here. <laughs> to a total of 15 minutes to get here. <laughs> I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try. Take the punt and go out and speak to a doctor in my local area 
And you know what? The first one actually failed. Um, they were like, no, we don't want anything to do with you. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. And it was, yeah, it was a doctor. Obviously, there's lots of doctors. So it was a doctor out of Hornsby. Yeah. And he was like. Oh, that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I think I went to another doctor and he's like, yeah, okay, I'm happy to have you. Because I had nothing set up. I didn't get any referrals. So I used to go there once a fortnight and wait for referrals. And I'd talk to the doctor. Hi, doctor, how are you? I'm here today. <laughs> and um, literally for like three months, I'd go there once a fortnight and I would get no pa- And I still never got a patient there. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go there anymore. It must have been maybe two or three more doctors later. There was a doctor, uh, a medical practice that gave me a chance. The owner was a youngish doctor and he was like, yeah, I've heard about EP. I think you'd be an awesome addition to our company. So I went in as a subcontractor, mm-hmm. just working for myself. And I was still also trying to manage working for the physio as well. And it got to the point where the doctor that I subcontracted for really started to entrust a lot with me, point where he had about three or four clinics. And I was like, I can't do two jobs at the moment so I kind of took that back step and I was like with my boss and I said look I'm gonna I'm gonna have to resign because you know I've got these other opportunities closer to home that's pretty much where it started really he had a lot more than a couple of clinics they had quite a few and so I I grew with them and it got to the point where I couldn't do six days that's when I said okay I'm gonna get a subcontractor in and I have not had no idea you know you fail fail half the time and then you know there's one time where you get the right person I want to roll back because yes. here you are sitting in this first doctor's room every week. Yes. Literally no patients ever. Yes. What the fuck was going through your mind? I don't know. When I you was were sitting there going. I was only there for like two hours a day because <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to spend my whole day there. I really had no idea. I had no idea how to talk to the doctor really because I really wasn't exposed to that all I did was clinical my husband's always been a person be like Sam just give it a go and we were just newly married at that time as well he's like just give it a go what have you got to lose the worst that the doctor will say is no what's so hard about that but I was afraid of the no until I learned to kind of let go and embrace failure that was the only way I was able to grow how do you embrace failure because that's scary like nobody like no one likes to fail how do I embrace failure you've just I think in my opinion I just had to accept it I, I probably knew he was going to say you really no yeah but I know that next time when I go to the next doctor I'm going to try it differently I'm going to say something yeah. differently I'm going to maybe come about and bring some brochures instead of just <laughs> hi this is what I'm about you sure know enough. So I think it's learning from that experience um, and saying, okay, well, this didn't work. I'm going to try it different next time. In your now wisdom, Mm. what would you say to Sam sitting alone in that (sighs) clinic room for two hours? Oh, my God. Now you're putting me on the spot. (laughs) Oh, my God. What's the key thing you would say? You know what? I probably wouldn't change it. I would be like, trust the process because you're going to learn from this. Trust the process. It's okay to fail because that's where you'll get your learnings in life. That's how you'll grow in life because you don't grow from success after success after success. You grow from failure, 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 success, growth, failure, success. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then the world turns. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and I think that's such an epic thing because you then went on and built this business. Mm-hmm. You've struggled, you've worked the process, you've failed and then repeated that process a hundred times. Yeah. Got to a point where you went, oh, fuck, I've got it. I've nailed it. Oh, that's cool. I'm just going to give it up. (laughs) Um, I think there was a few factors that um, played into it. I was, I think it's really also to do with right 
timing, right place. Mm -hmm. If I went to this doctor first and I failed with him, I wouldn't have got the opportunities that I would have got on da down the track. Mm -hmm. So I needed the two or however many more beginning to fail first before I actually went to this yeah. guy. He owned a fair few medical, it was a group of them, they owned a fair few medical practices and they were also expanding interstate. That's how it grew really. He was like, do you know anyone that might be in the area? And I just put up my hand and I was like, yeah, I've got it. I'll find someone for you. He knew that he could rely on me as well. So I'd be like, I've got it. Don't worry, I'll sort it out for you. Um, and so that's how I kind of grew interstate. Towards the end of it, I had, I think from memory, it was like 32 to 35 clinics across Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria and um, South, South Australia. Australia. Yes. I didn't have any employees because I wanted to minimise my risk as much as I could. Mm -hmm. They're all subcontractors, which now that I look back at it, is that the greatest thing to have done for the business? Maybe, maybe not, but maybe one of the reasons why I did end up giving it up. Yeah, with that company, it was just that organic growth into interstate and I moved with them. Another probably right timing, right, right place my husband, actually, this thing comes back down oh, to my husband. Oh, always come back to Brad. He always has amazing conversations with random people. And I still remember this conversation. He goes, oh, this doctor walked into my clinic and they just started talking. He's like, I've got his details. He is part of this big, another big medical <laughs> clinic's practices. And he's been looking for an EP for ages. I met up with him mm -hmm. and he was like, you're a perfect fit for what we need. We don't have EP properly sorted out in our clinics. You'd be perfect. Let's get you started. I want you to start at my clinic first, which was a massive clinic in Blacktown. To be honest, if I hadn't had that meeting with him, mm -hmm. I don't think it'll be, you know, you could talk, call, you call a practice and they're like, oh, can I please speak to yeah, the practice exactly. manager? And they get fobbed off. Yeah, and they don't know who you are, right? You would call a, um, he got a, me practice, yeah. a practice manager and they'd be like, oh, whatever, just another and person it's so hard. Yeah, it's so hard to get into this. So if I didn't have that meeting with the director of, the, of that medical practice, yeah. I probably wouldn't have grown. So I literally organically grew with both massive, almost so interstate, date kind of well, like national yeah, yeah well that practice that medical practice group had 72 at medical centers nationally that's kind of how I got to my 35 it was very quick yeah um, and then it was obviously just me managing these subcontractors as well and I think I've learned now with subcontractors you've got to do it right if you don't do it right they'll just leave you know what I mean they've got probably three four other jobs that yeah. they would rather do as well hindsight is 2020 but this yeah. is the message for anybody who is starting up or even restarting mm. is yeah you're gonna fuck it up yeah so looking back at that you spoke about subcontractors and that's the way it was back then when yes i had a business i did the same thing yes. um and then these new businesses as they've evolved are now becoming businesses that can actually employ yes people why did you make the decision to go subcontractor and you mentioned that because of the risk yeah at the beginning it was the risk yeah. i think i one i had no idea what i was getting into and i didn't know if i could pay a part-time wage you know, including my wage as well. So yeah. I think I spoke to my accountant and he's like, just do it as a subcontractor for now. If you want to change it later on and you think that, you know, mm -hmm. you've got the capacity to do that, do it. Do and it. Did, you didn't change in the I end. never changed. You no. never changed in the I end. never changed. And like you said, hindsight's such a beautiful thing. I probably could have changed, mm -hmm. but maybe I just was stuck in my comfortable zone and I knew exactly what to do with contractors. I knew exactly the systems and processes. Maybe timing was an issue because at that point as well, towards the end of it, I, I had a family. I was a one-man band as well. I did all my accounts every Tuesday night from like 9 to 11. I paid all my contractors. I did all my marketing. We didn't have Canva back then. <laughs> so I don't, I don't even remember how I did it. <laughs> I don't even remember how I did my marketing. Is it called paint? Was it Something like that Word Microsoft? document <laughs> using stock images. 
<laughs> Using what are they called? Those old little um, bit maps or whatever yes. they were. The yes. little icons that you used yes. to get on Word and stuff yes. like that. Oh, I hear you. So I was like, I, I had to do all my finances, all my marketing, all my business development. I was at one man band and I just got to that point where I was like, I'm not going to change anything. I'm exhausted. I'm looking after kids as well. I don't want to do this. That's probably why I didn't change. Mm. Mm. Interesting. And so there came a point where you decided that it was enough was enough. Yeah. Talk me through that. How do you come to that decision knowing that you've built this thing from the ground up? Yeah, yeah. So um, after my first daughter, it was fine. I think I was like back on the accounts. I still remember sitting in hospital. I was listening to your, um, one of the, one of your episodes, how you said that you were like in the hospital room at a case conference. Same thing. I was in my hospital room, sending accounts, like paying people. Cause I knew that if I didn't pay them, they weren't going to do their work. So after my first daughter, um, that was fine. I was able to manage that cause she was the dream baby. She was like so chilled. She'll just sit there, do whatever. And also I also had amazing support from my parents. My parents would help me out. If I had to go to a meeting, I'll just leave her with them and, <laughs> and, and do my meeting and come back. And yeah, they were awesome. So it was only after my twins, that's probably when I needed to reevaluate because I thought, oh, babies are as easy as my first girl. I'll be fine. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was so wrong. <laughs> Twins <laughs> is a different, it's a different ball game. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought I could just continue doing whatever I was doing. And you know what? I, I, I knew how to be a mum. Um, but, but twins rocked my world like they were still they are still and they were amazing babies but trying to manage like I remember I had a contractor in Queensland he said oh I'm going to finish up I've got another opportunity elsewhere probably five weeks after I gave birth to the girls and um, I was like crap if I don't keep my practice my medical practice up there happy I'm going to lose that contract so I need to fly up there six weeks post birth do interviews, train another EP up. And then three weeks later, a similar situation happened in, um, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I was like, far out. I've got to fly now to, to, to Melbourne and sort this. And it got to the point where I was like, I think it was maybe about girls were three, or three, three to four months old. And I was like, what am I doing? I work myself literally most nights. I'm doing accounts. I'm doing whatever, whatever, whatever. I might see one client or two mm-hmm. clients, not a lot, but just enough to like help out. I'm not even spending quality time with my kids. Yeah. Or if I am, I'm on the phone, like breastfeeding or, you know, I'm, I'm not there for them. And my daughter at that time, she was just two maybe. So I had three under two. I was like, she's got two and a half, maybe three years before she goes to school. If I'm not present for those early years, I'm, I'll never get those years back. And that was kind of that point where I was like, what do I do here? And at that point, it was profitable. It was great. But it was me. I probably didn't manage my team very well because I was trying to do 50 things at once. I mean, you had this giant business across maybe what a hundred clinics nationally. Mm. I want to press you here. You went, I can do all this shit by myself. Oh, I think it's also my attitude. <laughs> maybe it's Talk like me through that. You've got, you've got to criticize and question that as well. Like, yeah. well, why would you know, it's hard, you know, you're getting crazy. You yeah. know, you've got so many subcontractors. Yeah. Why the fuck didn't you bring somebody on board then? Um, Probably because I didn't know who to bring on board and I didn't know how to bring on board. Like I remember reaching out and be like, guys, I need a bookkeeper. And the bookkeeper I got, she didn't even help me. <laughs> spent no joke. I spent like three to four months trying to train her and she still didn't get it. I'm like, you know what? I can freaking do it myself. And, and it's faster as well. So I'm just going to do it. I think 
being burnt on trying to get a bookkeeper on. And it's also because I'm quite driven. I'm like, I can do it. I'm not, I don't need the help of other people. That's just my mentality. So I think it was probably half and half. I I know I can do it. If I push myself, absolutely, I'll be able to do it. Where does that stem from though? I think most... It's my Asian-ness. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Because I think most people that I speak with, they're very much like, I'm going to prove to the world that I can do it all by myself. When in reality, and you've already pointed to this very early on in the discussion that you can't do what you do without Brad, without a team around you. So I find that really fascinating that you say, I want to do it all by myself, but I employ the help of my husband and my parents. I think with a business, I can afford it to fail. But with my family, I can't afford it to fail. I will not. I will not risk it failing, you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. I will employ what I need to for something that's really dear to my heart. Mm. But work, I've learnt now, work is work. I love what I do, but work is work. And first and foremost, my family come first. Yeah. I don't really care. Like that, I can't afford that mm. to fail. And I can't afford there to miss my, my kids and, you know, miss my kids' first day and miss them growing up. Do you remember that moment where you said, yep, yeah, I'm selling this business and I'm going to move on? Yes, I do. Tell me about it. (laughs) I remember exactly where I was. I was at a gym in Carlingford. I was sitting in the car park and I called you. Me? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I still remember. Yeah. So I was speaking to our friend, Christy. Hey, Christy. (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of floating the idea with her and she actually said, you need to speak to this girl, Ria. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard of the name Ria. I've heard like, obviously in the ESSA space, I've kind of heard her. I was like, are you sure she's going to be able to pick up the phone and talk to me? That (laughs) troublemaker. And she was like, yeah, she's super friendly. You'll be fine. You just call her and ask her questions because I already had work comp clients so I kind of knew the workers comp space and coming back to that point where I knew that I was going to sell a business Mm -hmm. I got to a point in my mind where I was like I do not want to be giving exercises to people when I'm 50 years old (laughs) I don't see myself doing that like I eat way too many cupcakes (laughs) in order to be that person (laughs) and as well like a lot of my clients oh Sam can you see me like a seven in the morning or six o'clock in the afternoon and that was not working for my family yeah that's right family came first I love my job I want to help people how else can I do it and I loved workers comp yeah I I loved it and so Christy, who was already working in the Oak Rehab space, she, she'd been telling me, Sam, you've got to think about it. And I'm like, Oak Rehab, what's Oak Rehab? And then that's when she, she, she said to me, you need to speak to this lady named Ria. <laughs> I, I worked with her previously and she's like the bee's knees in Oak Rehab. Oh, come on. <laughs> I called you. I think we spent about an hour on the phone. <laughs> I was already getting my business ready to sell. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to you, oh, you know, would it be easy? I've already run a business. You know, I know how it all works. Would it be easy to do contracting in, in a rehab? And I remember you saying to me, Sam, they're two totally different things. You would get absolutely slaughtered. <laughs> One, because you don't know the legislation. Yeah, you know a bit about you know a bit about Oak Rehab being the treater, but it's totally different. <laughs> and I remember you saying, if you do anything, what you need to do is you need to do like one to two years of, of Oak Rehab working for a company, mm-hmm. learn the ropes, learn what Oak Rehab is really, the essence of Oak Rehab, what it's about. And then if you want to go down that subcontracting side, you can. Yeah, it was that conversation with you. It was like an hour in the car. Oh, what? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> that makes my heart smile. It was our first conversation. I remember you saying to me in the end, you were like, if you need anything from me, please just give me a just call. Just give me a call. <laughs> I had some great mentors growing up. I've mm. got people that I can just call on tap at any moment, at any time in industry. 
and ask them a question. Mm. There are a lot of people that say to me, oh, I've been in workers' comp exactly like you for, for 10 years doing clinical. I'm just going to suddenly go and be a rehab consultant. And I was like, no, nah, you're starting from scratch, mate. And, and I love that you kind of just took that on board and went, yeah, I'm going to take a huge pay cut. I've gone mm-hmm. from being the director of this giant business mm. to then having to literally come in basically a new grad mm-hmm. level. The one thing that you have going for you which a lot of people don't have going into any rehab, doesn't matter how old you are, it's your personal attributes. Mm. You're driven, you're willing to learn, you like people. Mm. Those skills are gonna, and attributes are gonna cross from being clinical to an occupational rehab space. I had a follow-up conversation with you, probably about a year after you started, and I was sitting in the car park <laughs> down at Macquarie Field in the car park of the Woolly Shopping Centre there. <laughs> and I rang you and I, I said, how's, it, how's everything going? And you said to me, I fucking love rehab. <laughs> I love occupational rehab. Yes! I think it's awesome. And I was like, yes! what do you think about the billable hours and that? And you're like, I fucking love the billable hours. I love the KPIs. Yes, yes. And, and I was just like, have we created a monster? <laughs> Tell me what you find as being the main points of difference between being a clinician, treating patients and being a provider versus being an OC rehab consultant. The essence of it, you're still helping people. You're not doing those exercises anymore, but you're using your clinical judgment to further a discussion with the stakeholders of an injured worker. Yeah. What frustrates you most about being a rehab consultant? It probably not frustrates me, but it disappoints me when I, I try work hard to, to get not an outcome, but to help someone. And due to external influences or external sources, they don't get better. And that breaks me because that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to help you. And unfortunately, I couldn't help you because I, I feel like I didn't do my job. But I did. Mm-hmm. I just unfortunately, for whatever reason, for whatever circumstance, it just didn't go. And you can't always kind of choose that path for someone you know mm-hmm. what I mean I'm... give me an example of you, you mentioned some <laughs> some external factors just list them off like what are some things that you found of just so beyond our control as rehab consultants yeah that it doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter if you spend a hundred thousand dollars on a case and have case conferences and phone calls this is not going to work I think the biggest one for me mm-hmm. that I've seen personally <clears throat> probably pain there's only so much specialist, so much surgery, so much pain management clinics, so much whatever, whatever you can throw at them. And mm-hmm. they just, you can see that it is just eating away at their life. There's only so much you can do. Yeah. And that's probably what hurts me the most. I th- we try as much as we can. Oh, you know, we encourage movement, you know, where we're applicable and whatnot. Try this mm-hmm. pain specialist or whatever, or try a sports physician or try physio. physio well, actually... Yeah, try physio. <laughs> try car, try we just showed our bias there. <laughs> well, yeah. And they just don't get better. Their pain is still there and we don't know why. It's- let's, let's delve into that. What's your take on maybe some of the, again, this is just really broad and maybe some of the cases that you've had. Do you sometimes say to yourself, oh, this is not even the injury anymore. This is because of family or that their employer is a dickhead or that the case manager treated them poorly or they just want something but no one will give it to them. How often do you think that actually is the fundamental issue when it comes to combo? Okay, so I've been in Okra Hub just about two and a half years and I could probably count on my hand, one hand, how many claims where I just think they're taking it for a ride. I would say I'd probably have had I'd say hundreds of claims. And I would probably say, in my opinion, five maybe. I agree. I'm the same. I've got a handful as well. And it's busting the myth of workers' comp. And people who who are not in industry 
we'll call them the lay people out mm. there. Every time I say to somebody, oh, you're, I'm in compo, I do compo. Mm. They're like, oh, those dodgy people. <laughs> and it's not. It's actually about busting that myth. It's no one intentionally goes out yeah. to harm the system. Mm-hmm. And nobody intentionally goes out to get this massive payout. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on. So we spoke really cool about some of your epic fails and stuff like that. <laughs> what, what do you have for somebody who is looking to do the transition like you did? I've had a couple of conversations with colleagues who are in clinical and they're scared to make that jump. Yeah, okay. Or, or people have gone from, from OC rehab and they're moving out and I kind of ask, oh, why? And the biggest thing that I hear is the paperwork. For, for example, a workplace assessment report. It's about, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 pages, somewhere around there. I think when I first started, first one probably took me like five hours to write. Like <laughs> so long because one, I have just no idea what I'm writing. Yeah. So I think the paperwork, especially when you're used to doing a lot of shorthand at clinical, you know, just writing really quick notes. Um, that's the biggest thing that I hear why people do leave. But is it fair to say that comes across with any job, any industry, any new skill that you're learning? And I think what often happens when people move from clinical to OC rehab and they go, oh my God, look at all this paperwork. I often have to question that and I ask them, well, you're just learning a new skill. Don't look at this as as an administrative function. Look at OC rehab as a craft. Look at it as a skill that you're learning that takes time to learn. Like, I mean, we're sitting here with a bunch of guitars hanging off the wall. I can't suddenly just go, I'm gonna move from playing the drums to playing the guitar, and then all of a sudden, I'm gonna be able to play Stairway to Heaven perfectly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think as allied health professionals, we're so used to getting things right so quickly that we forget that OC rehab is actually a craft mm. and a skill that needs to be learnt over time. Mm, mm. So when people are leaving that because of the paperwork, people need to reframe it. When I'm mentoring or teaching new rehab consultants, it's, Stop looking at your report writing as admin. Think of it as storytelling. Mm. You've just done an initial assessment with somebody and you've sat in their home and you've listened to their story. What you're now doing is writing a chapter of that story Mm. for other people to read. Mm. Mm. And a return to work plan. How many return to work plans do you write in a day? Like so many. Rather than looking at it as, oh, just a return to work plan, it's just another story that you're telling about this person's situation right here and right now. Mm-hmm. People who go, oh, there's so much admin, there's so many reports. Well, you're not giving yourself the time to learn your craft. Mm-hmm. Writing a report is a skill. Writing functional capacity reports is a skill. Writing workplace assessments is a skill. Just as prescribing exercise for an ACL injury is a skill that you learn mm-hmm. over time. But anyway, go on that forever. Was there any epic failure that you went, oh, fuck, I just need to crawl into a hole? Oh, we all get those clients where you just try and help them in every possible way and it just doesn't work. Like they just drive you mad. I tried everything to help John, but John just wanted to sit at home and do nothing. And every time I'd have a conversation with him, I'd be like, look, I want to help you. Let's try this. Let's try that. Or and there are lots of options we can choose. Mm. And he was like, no, no way. I'm not doing it. So... It got to the point where our conversations were heated. I'd be like, why don't you want to try it? Like, just try it. <laughs> All that, that'll happen is that it won't work. But what's the harm? 
and it was like shouting matches back and forth and every time that they would call me I almost had like panic attacks and I'd be like oh my gosh that person is calling me and I really don't want to pick up the phone because I just don't know where the conversation will lead that's where I feel like I fell that person because I couldn't assist them in getting better I, I tried to be the problem solver maybe that's my perception and looking back on that what did you feel like that you may have needed as a person as a professional to help you through that process yeah it's actually quite funny you say that because my company sent me to do a a training day it was actually a two training days so like you know career not career development yeah, like but professional like, development professional development yeah. that's the word it was all about hard chats also, also communication which is I feel in my space I need a lot of it has challenged the way that I talk and communicate with clients yeah because I've learned from that one you know that one, one yeah. yeah that one fail wrapping up I'm, <laughs> I'm going to throw this at you oh. what do you think the purpose of occupational rehab or workplace rehab actually is if you were to sum it up in one sentence or one paragraph just think about what your gut says to you what is the purpose of rehab consultancy I think Oh my God. Don't think, don't think about it. Too. So the one thing that's kind of sticking in my gut is I'm here to help someone. My heart is to help people. That's always been what I, I've always wanted to do with my life. So I think that's probably why I enjoy the essence of Oc Rehab because I do feel like I'm helping people, but I'm still, re I'm refining how to communicate. I'm refining how to talk. I'm refining how to have those hard conversations. Yeah, and that's evolving as a human and I think the biggest issue that we do have as professionals especially healthcare professionals is this expectation that we have the answers mm. problem solvers problem right. solvers because we are natural problem solvers and it's hard for us to not feel like failures when we don't achieve what helping somebody means to us mm. sometimes even just listening to somebody you may have not come up with a practical hard solution but the fact that they were able to sit there and be heard was in fact you helping. A quick story. So I did an eight-week program. It's all about health coaching. The training they do is good, but until you actually do it, like I had no idea. Healthcare professionals need to stop apologising for going, <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. That's totally cool. <laughs> it's fine. We don't know what we're doing a lot yes. of the time. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was kind of thrown in. I ran this program, did the program for eight weeks. And I thought, you know, done, dusted, finished. It was great good outcomes, you know. And then I get this letter probably about two weeks later and she said to me, Sam, I know it was just weekly chats, but the fact that you came down to me and just listened to me and just chatted with me, you have no idea how much that means to me and how much that's changed me. It just changed my perception of trying new things or setting new goals or whatever it is. And I didn't realise the impact that I had on her. I, I had no idea that it positively impacted her yeah. in that way. We know that every interaction that we have, if we go away going, hey, you know what, I did my best that day. I was a human, I was kind, I was compassionate. You've, you've created change. Mm. The rest is process, policy. Mm. Okay. What is it that you do for fun that's only for you? I, I've always been a runner. I, I did competitive running when I was a teenager and then tried to do it while I was pregnant, but it didn't work. My event is 400 metres. I hate running anything more than that. That's like the yeah. worst like, oh, acid burn oh, I ever. I think because I was so used to it when I was younger. Yeah. So yeah, I've started that and I do that. And it's not only just for physical health, it's also my me time as well, my yeah. self-care. Yeah. And the other thing I picked up actually was during COVID, I was running heaps mm -hmm. and obviously my my body couldn't handle and I started to get little niggles. So my physio actually said to me, Sam, you need to start taking the load off your constant pounding. So a girlfriend had always told me, she's like, Sam, you need to get into mountain biking. I was like, oh, sure. And I was at that point, I was um, buying my daughter a bike. There was this pink 
basic <laughs> like hardtail bike. Like I loved the colour. I bought it and I fell in love with mountain biking because where I live, there are heaps of yeah. mountain bike trails um, through the bush mountain bike trails. So, yeah, I, I run um, part of the master squad, which I love to do, and I mountain bike. Sam, I want to say thank you so much for coming to visit us at the HQ. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You have no idea what change you create by talking to me and putting it out to the world because there are probably lots of people that have very similar experiences to you and have probably found something in what we just spoke about today. But thanks for coming on the pod and I will catch up with you soon. Awesome. The Intelligent Rebellion podcast is a Three Sticks production. It is produced, written, and hosted by me, Ria Mikado. Will is the emperor of sound, mixing, and editing, and is a talent behind all our original music. Gun. Perfect. Right, you didn't ask me about rules that I've broken recently. <laughs>